Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. So glad you could be with us today. Could there be a high-tech job in your future? Today, I want to talk about what's happening in the tech industry. You've probably heard the news about massive layoffs at big tech companies like Facebook and Google. But what about all those other companies that are trying to hire people for IT roles and can't find enough skilled workers? It is happening here in Minnesota, where there are an estimated 8,000 tech job openings right now, but not enough skilled workers to fill them. In a few minutes, my guests will give us a clearer picture of what is happening in the tech industry, and we're taking your phone calls. So are you at a company right now that's hiring and willing to train tech workers? Is your employer having a trouble having trouble filling some of these IT positions? Tell us about it. Or are you looking for a job in the tech field? What questions do you have for our guests? Here are the phone numbers to call. You can call 651 651- Two two seven six thousand. Again, that is six five one two two seven six thousand. Or call us at eight hundred two four two twenty eight twenty eight. You'll find me on Twitter. I'm at Angela Davis NPR. First, though, let's get an update on the top economic news with my colleague Chris Farrell, NPR senior economics contributor. And Chris, you're smiling. You told me, Angela, I have some good news. I was like, I like that. And it's about uh, the banking industry. Uh, a, a North Carolina-based uh, bank, First Citizens, is planning to buy most of the failed Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, what is First Citizens get, getting for its money? Okay. So, yeah, I like, uh, you know, being the bearer of good news every <laughs> once in a while. Uh, and this should help calm down investors, help calm down the market. But um, here's the basic outline. So First Citizens uh, which you said is a North Carolina-based bank. They have a history since 2009. They've acquired more than 20 FDIC-assisted banks. So they have this, this track record of taking okay. over troubled troubled banks. And they're buying the retail operation. So 17 branches, deposits, the loans. It's uh, about $56 billion in deposits and about $72 billion in loans or assets. It's getting them at a steep discount. The taxpayer... You and I, we are on the hook for this. We are going to get about a $20 billion hit to the FDIC as part of this rescue package. There's some things that may offset that. Um, the FDIC is going to get some equity appreciation rights in First Citizens. So First Citizens does well. FDIC will benefit in that. And there's, by the way, there's some more parts of So why the is this good news? Well, this is good news because everybody's been wondering why is someone going to take over this bank? You, know, you don't want it to be owned by the FDIC. You want it to be part of the banking system again. And you actually, frankly, what you want is bankers to be saying, hey, there's some real assets here. There's some real deposit. There's a business. I, management failed. Management made a mistake. The previous management, we can come in and we can actually run this. And that helps that trust, that confidence in the underlying banking system. So uh, investors, a lot of people have been rattled by the, the turmoil in the banking system. Yep. So is this enough to kind of calm down some of the, the fears of, of potential failures? You know, I really hope so. I mean, but we're still probably going to get tremors. And, you know, remember in uh, the Swiss government, they engineered the takeover of Trouble Credit Suisse by UBS. You've had these you know, uh, concerns about First Republic here in the U.S., Deutsche Bank in Germany. And so, you know, I think anybody that follows the economies had this kind of sixth sense of deja vu. Is this <laughs> 2008, 2009 all over again? I think there's some very good reasons to say no. Um, for one thing, the banking industry is a lot healthier than it was back then. For another, the regulators have moved very quickly. And this First Citizens move is is sort of part of that. Um, 
But uh, the other thing is, in the background, what's behind all this is the Federal Reserve is raising its interest rates. And the reason why I say these, you know, this is good news, but we can't just say it's over with. The Federal Reserve raised its benchmark interest rate quarter point last week. It's made it very clear it's going to raise its rates again. And that's kind of the background to this whole nervousness as everybody adjusts to this higher higher interest rate environment. And speaking of being nervous, uh, it seems like there's more talk again of the recession is coming. Uh, that's heating up again. Um, and, and what do you see there? What are economists saying? Yeah. And so a lot of it with the, with the recession is coming, which you're right. You know, it kind of had died down. I mean, it was still there, but it was sort of starting to die down. Whenever you had this sort of financial crisis and the, the reverberations that set us in the economy, people sort of pull back. So the Fed is going to continue to tighten, but the economy is, 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 is going to even tighten more because how are banks responding? to this type of environment. They're going to be more cautious. They're going to lean toward more higher quality loans. And so the economy is tightening. We know that the economy will slow down because of the bank crisis. Again, recession is a forecast. It's not baked into it's going to happen, but it does slightly increase the odds. As we look at what's happening uh, in Congress, um, do you think concerns about the health of the banking system, um, is that going to have an impact on the arguments happening about raising the government's debt limit? So here's my hope. And as you know, I'm, I'm a very hopeful person and, and I, I like tilting at windmills. My hope <laughs> is that this recent experience just with, you know, you had just, just been a couple of banks. I mean, it's been Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, uh, Credit Suisse, and all the turmoil that that set off. And it just gives you a hint of what could happen if we have a real debt ceiling crisis. And, you know, because remember, U.S. Treasuries are the foundation of the global economy. When you're talking about finance, it is the safe asset. And so my hope is that the lesson that comes out of this is let's just abandon this debt ceiling debate and let's just, uh, you know, let, how you want to deal with the budget, how you want to deal with the debt, legitimate debate, but let's get rid of the debt ceiling. However, that's not part of the conversation right now. Something we haven't talked about in a few weeks uh, is the housing market. And so uh, what are we seeing now with home prices? So nationally, home prices coming down for the first time in a decade. Uh, locally, the, the latest data is prices have flattened out, but year over year, still slightly up. And what's, it's an interesting dynamic, Angela, that's happening. So if you have a home and you own your own home, and let's say you have a 3 3 3.5% mortgage, you're not selling. Because if you go out, you're going to have to get a higher rate mortgage. Much. Mm -hmm. And then if you're a potential buyer, you're a little bit nervous about these higher rates. And so in the end, you know, it really comes down to in the housing market, we just need a, a much bigger supply, a lot more supply. Even though when you drive around the streets of the Twin Cities and when I was up in St. Cloud, I mean, you can see building that's going on everywhere. It's mm -hmm. not even close to what we need. So the housing market right now is a little bit of a frozen state, but underlying or underpinning that market is a lack of supply. Okay. And then um, we saw a drop in home prices, you said. Yes. A big drop. And lastly, uh, we, we're going to be talking about the tech industry uh, for the rest of the hour. And uh, this is an idea that sort of came from you. You kept saying like, yeah, they're layoffs, but yeah, those folks will find jobs. Everybody <laughs> needs tech workers. So uh, remind us what is happening uh, really as we just, first of all, look at, at layoffs because we keep seeing these headlines. Right. Because the layoffs are not just limited to, to high tech. There's this... Uh, 
global uh, placement service, uh, Challenger Grain Christmas, Christmas, and they keep these running tally. And um, they've been noticing a lot of layoffs in the healthcare, uh, retailers, a lot of financial firms. But it's really the striking numbers are in high tech. You know, Amazon's going to cut another 9,000 corporate jobs. More. More. Another. Another. Right. Uh, indeed, mm-hmm. 15% of its workforce, mm-hmm. meta platforms, Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, again, they're going to have another 10,000 job cut. That's another. More, more. In the coming months. In the coming mm-hmm. months. And these are just, you know, there's a running tally that's kept by Crunchbase. Mm-hmm. And what their numbers are that more than 118,000 workers in U.S.-based tech companies um, or tech companies that have a large U.S. workforce have been laid off so far in 2023. And that's on top of 140,000 in 2022. So the tech mm-hmm. industry is really going through, you know, a massive a lot of big companies are going through a massive revaluation of their workforces mm-hmm. and the size of their workforce. Movement. Okay, we're going to talk more about that. Thank you. Good. I'll Turner. be listening. Absolutely. All right. We'll, we'll see you again next Monday. All right. Well, now let's take a closer look at what is happening with employment in the tech industry. Again, lots of news about massive layoffs uh, last year and now even just the first three months of this year at these big tech companies. But have you heard this? There is still a huge demand for skilled tech workers at other companies. In February of 2023, just last month, there were more than 8,000 tech job openings in Minnesota alone. The Minnesota Technology Association says that employers are having a hard time finding people with the necessary skills. But get this, for the third year in a row, Minnesota is scoring last in the country when it comes to teaching computer science to K-12 through students. Currently, only 21% of high schools in Minnesota offer any computer science courses get the connection here. So what is going on and how can we address this problem? I have two guests in the studio with me who can explain some of this and and some possible solutions. Joel Crandall is here. Joel is the vice president of talent at Minnesota Technology Association. Now, he previously worked at Genesis Works in the Twin Cities, and that's a talent pipeline for students in underserved communities pursuing careers in business technology. Good morning to you, Joel. Good morning, Angela. Glad to be here. Hi. And Sharon Kennedy Vickers is here. Sharon is the CEO of Software for Good. That's a Twin Cities company that partners with organizations to make apps and digital platforms that help communities. Sharon has more than 20 years of leadership and software engineering experience, and she previously worked as the chief information officer for the city of St. Paul. Good morning, Sharon. Good morning. Hi. Glad you guys are here. And as we talk about this with our guests, I want to hear from you too, our listeners. Are are you working at a company that is hiring or, you know, willing to train tech workers? Is your employer having a hard time filling these IT positions. Tell us about it. Or are you someone looking for a job in the tech industry? What questions do you have for our guests? Call us at 651-227-6000 or you can call 800-242-2828. You can tweet me at Angela Davis NPR. So, Joel, I'll start with you as we talk about some of these numbers. Uh, The Minnesota Technology Association uh, keeps a close eye on the industry. And again, you say that there are lots of tech jobs available here in our state, uh, more than 8,000 to be exact, uh, your latest numbers. But yet we keep hearing about layoffs and uh, at major tech companies. So for those of us who don't work in the field, like me, who, who may not have a really even a good grasp of the types of jobs we're talking about. How do you describe what is going on uh, in the tech industry right now, Joel? 
Definitely confusing. Um, <laughs> I think uh, Chris mentioned Meta earlier, which is the parent mm-hmm. company for Facebook. And maybe just a little bit of context there. Over the three years between 2019 and 2022, they doubled their workforce. They they grew up to 84,000 total technologists. And um, as Chris mentioned, they, they did shed 11,000 jobs in November, and they are looking to cut another 10,000 jobs over the next couple months. Um, and it's always hard news to be Mm -hmm. part of those layoffs. But if you look at the bigger picture, it's still growth uh, that they haven't even cut back into. So they still are up another 25% over where they've been. And we haven't seen those same types of cuts here in Minnesota. Uh, Definitely some folks have lost positions in technology. That will always be the case. But as you mentioned, 8,400 new jobs posted in February that's the lowest number that we've seen in the last three years. So overall, maybe a little bit of a slowing in terms of the total number of technologists being hired, but generally really still positive news in terms of tech employment. And so help me with some of the the, the types of jobs. You know, when I hear IT or tech uh, jobs, I, I'm pretty limited in my thinking. I think of, of software engineers, I think of cybersecurity folks, but there's a, a lot more. Like what kinds of jobs or what would people be doing? Right, yeah. 111,000 technologists in the state of Minnesota doing a lot of the jobs that you just mentioned. About 40,000 of those folks are working in software engineering. Um, But cybersecurity is absolutely part of it. Help desk jobs, deployment jobs of getting computers ready for new employees. I love the help desk folks. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, Cybersecurity is absolutely a growing field. Um, So those those are the big jobs. But also there are folks who are agile project managers, folks who are getting technology deployments ready to go more from a a planning perspective, all of those are part of the technology workforce here in Minnesota. And for some of these jobs, uh, when I hear about this, it's the training part of it, because not everybody has a four-year college degree in that field. Uh, Is that needed? Or are some of these employers now willing to do some of the training there at the job once they hire you? Like, we're going to teach you to do this thing that we need you to do. It's exciting to see some shifts that are happening. So last year, for instance, in Minnesota, 90% of technology roles that were posted still required, at least on paper, a four-year degree, which is really out of step with other parts of the country. That's not the case in California. That's not the case um, on the East Coast. And so we're starting to see employers take a different perspective on whether a two-year degree or a four-year degree is required. And with that has come some growth in apprenticeships, in Mm -hmm. boot camps, in other kinds of training mechanisms to be able to get folks ready. But it really needs to be a shared partnership. Businesses need to be willing to take on some of that training burden to be able to get folks ready. Are you really trying to fill these jobs? Exactly. Because if you were, you would be maybe open to doing some things differently. Right. Right. All right. So um, Sharon, um, as the CEO of Software for Good, you know, what do you make of all of the the openings um, that we're seeing and employers saying like, we can't fill these these jobs because we don't have people with the right skills? At at Software for Good, we are not um, having the challenge in finding the talent. We actually have our own apprentice program that we started about five years ago. Um, Software for Good, we build software. We are a team of engineers, designers, digital strategists. Uh, and so we started the our apprentice program because we were finding that individuals coming out of college mm-hmm. or some of the non-traditional boot camps, training programs, did not have the uh, – experience that they needed in order to 
take on the roles as junior software developers. Like traditionally, what would be the experience level before you were hired? Traditionally, the experience, a lot of companies were looking for comp- uh, individuals who were in the two to four years of experience. Mm-hmm. A lot of individuals coming out of college, they had the practical experience, but they did not, uh, they didn't yeah, have the practical. years. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And so we started our apprentice program to address that need. Our apprentices, they get to work on our client projects that we have. They work on a team with other apprentices, also with UX designers. They're assigned a senior software engineer as a mentor who provide the coaching and to help them gain the skills that they will need to take on a role as a junior engineer. But these are full-time jobs. These are right. full, these are full-time jobs. So what does this accomplish? Someone with less experience, maybe less fewer years of education paired with someone already in the company that's been doing it for a while. So what does that do? It actually gives them the opportunity to really understand what um, what software engineering actually is. What is the day-to-day? What are the tools that you are using uh, to program in? Um, how to problem solve? Because at the end of the day, software engineering is really centered around being able to problem solve mm-hmm. and how to work in a team, um, how to uh, going through code reviews. That's mm-hmm. a part of the process. So folks, a lot of people may have like a certificate or some, you know, in a current job that has some IT role. Um, So what would be, how would you connect a person like that to some of these job openings we're talking about? Is it, you know, because when you apply for jobs, it'll tell you, here are the requirements. So are you seeing a more willingness, uh, Joel, across the state of of folks to be a little bit more flexible with that? We're starting to see that. And I think uh, you can see it in a couple different ways. One, there are software development user experience boot camps that are starting out. And this is a transition for folks who are maybe in a different industry that are interested in moving into that. There's certainly online training too, that some folks are pursuing to be able to gain a certification, to be able to move in that direction. But really when I get, I get excited when I hear about examples like Sharon, which is companies realizing that it's not just an investment that they need to make, but it's a really an opportunity that they have to be able to access younger talent, Mm -hmm. people who are interested in going into the field. Well, when I think about uh, journalism, when you come out of college with a journalism degree, you have the basics, but you actually have to be in the newsroom and you have to, to do the thing. You have to go out and write and interview people. I mean, you're going to learn really on the job. job. So that's maybe similar. And then, and Sharon, why is your company called Software for Good? Our company is yeah. called Software for Good. Um, we are, one, we are a B corporation. That means we have a fiduciary responsibility to, um, to caring for a people and the planet while we make a profit. And we are explicitly fo- focused on working with impact-driven companies and corporations who are looking to solve some of the world's deepest, hardest challenges. So the type of work is maybe helping them with their websites or? We we do application development. Um, We do also provide help with websites. We develop apps. Um, An example of some of the um, tools that we're building, one of our clients, we, they provide a mobile first uh, tool for teenagers to seek mental um, health um, support. Mm-hmm. Coming out of um, coming out of, uh, of usually coming out of facilities, we also helped a client build a platform to connect um, our young people to summer employment. Mm-hmm. We've 
we work with uh, one of our clients. It's really focused in the energy space, and they provide um, a large. Um, they provide other companies across the United States and Canada with support and their utility billing and savings in that space. And so we are interested in working on those projects or initiatives that have an impact on our planet Mm -hmm. and making it easier for people to get access to the resources that they need. And Joel, a lot of people listening may have been startled. I know I was startled when I read and and heard this, uh, that for the third year in a row, uh, that the state of Minnesota is scoring last in the country uh, when it comes to teaching computer science uh, to elementary, middle school, high school students. Only 21% of high schools in the state offer any computer science courses. I have to say that again, because I'm I'm thinking about this, because I, you know, my kids have been out of school for a bit. Only a fifth of schools have any type of computer mm-hmm. science? Like, what is that about? And when we think about growth that we'd like to see in the technology uh, industry, even with short-term layoffs, that is the bigger question to us is how do you develop enough homegrown uh, technologists to be able to support the companies that we have here. And that's exactly the case. Only 21% of schools, that's actually down 3% from last year. So we're moving in the wrong direction. Of to, because of the lack of staff to, to teach it or because of just limited resources that schools have? It is a really complex problem. Schools are trying to sort out a number of things at right. the same time. Um, mm-hmm. And the level of skill that you would need to be able to teach a computer science class is maybe more rigorous. And it's a little bit of a victim of its own success. The average technologist in Minnesota earns about $94,000. And so if you have a skill to be able to teach technology, um, mm-hmm. there may be some challenges for incentive to continue to, to teach rather than pursue it as a career. So that connects the dots. If we're not um, growing our own talent at a young age, and so then, then they're not going to college to pursue this as a major, and so then they're not coming out in here available to work. Absolutely. That's awesome. part of the gap. And Sharon, what do you make of that? Just the, the lack of opportunities in, in schools to start it, you know, the idea like this is my field. I, I think it's important for us to really um, get a, a focus of providing computer science education in school. But also we could think about out of school time. What are those opportunities out of school in our parks and rec centers? Uh, uh, there are a lot of companies also providing technology um, programming. And the goal is to make those things accessible as well as affordable to a broad range of our, mm-hmm. our community. Uh, if you're joining us, we're talking about what's going on in the tech industry, hearing a lot about massive layoffs. Yes, that is happening. But also, a lot of companies are hiring and having a hard time filling open positions in tech fields. So uh, we want you to call in. Are, are you working at a company that is hiring and willing to train workers for some of these positions? Or are you a, a tech company that is really having a trouble filling these positions? Tell us about it. Are you looking for a job in a tech-related field? What questions do you have for our guests? Call us at 651 651- Two two seven six thousand or at eight hundred two four two twenty eight twenty eight. Let's go to Cottage Grove and and take a phone call from one of our listeners. This is Nick on the line. Good morning, Nick. How are you? Hi. How are you doing? Well, uh, yeah. Nick Stevens, PT. I'm actually considering a career change into the tech industry. I've uh, been affected by COVID pretty heavily. As actually go on leave because we had a high well, one of our kids is pretty high um risk so we did stay at home 
daycare and everything for almost a year during COVID. Um, what kind of work do you do and, now, Nick? What field do you work in now? Yeah, so I'm in the medical field. I um, actually have a doctorate in physical therapy. and um, Yeah, I don't know. Right okay. now, the way our lifestyle is, that I still needed to stay at part-time and been varying hours and been a little tough. Well, Nick, let's ask our, our guests, uh, particularly folks in the healthcare industry. Um, what, what, Nick? What might be a good pairing for Nick? What could you see him possibly? What kind of work could he be doing? You think, Sharon? I think there's a variety of things that Nick could be doing. At Software for Good, we also have a product strategy team, and our product strategy team, they're UX designers, they're product strategies. They help um, help us think through what is the problem that we are seeking the sob and uh, what actually we need, how to break that down into an actual solution. A tool. A a Mm -hmm. tool that can be used. And so what we are looking for in the tech space and when we are hiring, we're looking for people who are naturally curious, who are good at problem solving. They can, you know, look at Mm -hmm. the entire whole system and to start to break that down into smaller like chunks, looking for patterns um, as well, and also being able to think about what is that relevant information and how do we package that into a solution. So some companies are looking for people with expertise in certain other fields. So someone in the healthcare industry like Nick, who just called, um, he might be a good fit for a tech job. Or what do you think? I love the way that Sharon explained computer science earlier as basically at its core problem solving Mm -hmm. and having base knowledge Mm -hmm. in another in another area, which could be music or could be theater or could be uh, philosophy. In Nick's case, in healthcare, help you to be a great software designer because you understand what the core problem trying to be solved is. Exactly. And so for someone who does have expertise in their field but doesn't have experience with like coding or programming, is that even required for some of these, you know, again, these 8,000 jobs you're talking about? Uh, Because there are other types of work. We continue to see employers looking for some kind of certification, some kind of post-high school experience. But it can be a certification. It can be um, a two-year degree. It can be a four-year degree. But it also, we are seeing more companies willing to take on um, skilled apprenticeships, Mm. which provides a combination Mm -hmm. of those things. So companies will hire individuals to be employees at that company and provide some of that training on spot. And before we go to the news break, where are these jobs posted? Dole, where if folks who are listening are like, there's 8,000 jobs. You need to go find one. I mean, is there a central place or as I search, like how does one search for a job? Yeah, a great place to start, Mintech. M-N-T-E-C-H dot org. That's our website, Minnesota, Minnesota. Technology Association. Okay. We have a job board that posts a number of those positions. And so it's a good place for folks to be able to start. So Minnesota Technology Association. Give me that website again. Mintech, M-N-T-E-C-H dot O-R-G. And what do you all do in addition to watching the industry and connecting people with jobs? What else do you do? So Midtech believes that tech-enabled companies in Minnesota do the very best when they have access to great public policy, to community building across technology companies, and to talent development. And so those are the things that we really focus on, um, being able to make sure that we have statewide broadband and access to technology, Mm -hmm. that we have community connections across technologists, and that we're doing talent development just like this. Your advocates. Absolutely. So this is your jam. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, and we're taking your phone calls. What questions do you have for our guests? Are you looking for a job in the tech field or are you trying to hire people? Call us at 651 651- 
800-242-2828. or 800-242-2828. Let's go back uh, to the phone lines and talk with, uh, this is Eric. And Eric, I understand that you work in cybersecurity. In fact, <laughs> you are a managing partner of IT Audit Labs. Good morning to you. Good morning. Hi. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So tell me, what does, what does IT Audit Labs do uh, in, in cybersecurity? Sure. We are an information security consulting company, and we help companies and, and local governments in Minnesota improve their cybersecurity posture. So we'll do things like conduct pen tests, which is where we actually try to break into the environment and find out what's wrong with it and then provide solutions to fix it. Or we'll do things like audits, uh, compliance audits, things like that, to just help a company understand where they are. And then we have staff members that will join a company's security team and help them get better. And so, Eric, are you hiring people? Are you, uh, do you have openings? And, and what's it like trying to find folks with cybersecurity experience? We do, uh, and it's tough. It's been tough because of, you know, as we're discussing here, the, the job market's pretty tight in in some of these cases. We took a slightly different approach, though, and we built an after-hours security team. So during the day, you can imagine a, a company's engineers are going to be involved with um, meetings and projects and other sorts of, of day work that distracts them from just doing pure security work where they could be heads down um, looking through logs or um, working to, to track indicators of compromise. And what we did was we, we fired up a after-hours team made of individuals that are already experts and working in industry somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But they want to pick up a few extra hours during the week and work after their normal jobs end. So it was a way for us to be able to bring on a, a wide variety of talent on a contractor basis and then have them immediately be able to help our customers in that after hours time frame. So, Eric, what advice do you have for people who are looking for work, maybe who are interested in cybersecurity in terms of either additional training that they need to get or, or how to approach that? Sure. There's lots of really good free training out there, um, plenty on, on YouTube, plenty of podcasts out there. We have one uh, at IT Audit Labs, but there's, there's lots of ways to get in, into the industry. Uh, but I think it's, it, it's doing a little bit of home lab work on your own, you know, getting, getting an old computer, installing some software on it, um, following along online with maybe some lab modules, um, there, there's lots of free training out there. It doesn't, doesn't have to be expensive to get started. And then maybe find your way into an organization through an internship, which we've had really great success in bringing people along through an internship, either coming out of college or another form of education like Summit Academy. Summit Academy is a, a local company that takes uh, maybe students that couldn't afford the traditional uh, secondary education route, um, but they, the Summit Academy has a program where they bring people through and introduce them to cybersecurity or IT support. 
Uh, and we found individuals coming out of that training curriculum have been excellent as well. All right. Well, thank you for your advice, Eric. That's Eric Brown, uh, a managing partner and the founder of IT Audit Labs, um, who uh, works with organizations to help with their cybersecurity issues. Thanks, Eric. Um, and so what do you think about what he had to, to share about approaching, um, helping people get the skills that they need that could lead to uh, bigger opportunities? I love the creativity. I love that they're looking for ways to be able to access talent. And my my hope, though, is that we will continue to be able to look at how will Minnesota produce more technologists so that we're not having to be so creative about having people have one and a half jobs or two jobs mm-hmm. afterwards. Um, and I think that comes from being able to get younger students exposure to fields like computer science at their high school. There's a, a bill right now that's uh, being heard at the legislature called the Computer Science Ad- uh, Education Advancement Act. Minnesota doesn't even have a blueprint right now for how we're going to approach computer science education. So you talked about some of those uh, stacked challenges earlier in terms of finding enough teachers, having enough teacher training, being able to have a curriculum that that teachers can go to. That doesn't exist. Uh, So this uh, Computer Science Act at the legislature would create sort of the, the groundwork for this? That's exactly right. In 2023, creating it? Yeah, it's we have states around us, Wisconsin, Iowa, who are really role models in being able to create create computer science curriculum and being able to offer it to students. But we're in a place of needing to create a very fundamental blueprint here in the state. And so mm-hmm. it's we have some work to do to be able to catch back up. What do you think about that, uh, Sharon? I, I think it's important. I think Minnesota has been a leader in technology space. um, And I think we need to reclaim that by starting with understanding and building a a, a program at early stages for individuals. And we need our legislative members behind us in supporting um, that as well. When you were a girl or a teenager, what drew you into like information technology or or this field of work? You know, actually, I wasn't necessarily drawn to technology as a young girl or even as um, I grew up in the rural South um, in the 70s and 80s. And so, as you can imagine, there wasn't a lot of opportunity for tech um, during mm-hmm. that time and in that in that place. My first computer science class was when I was a sophomore um, in high school, and I, I didn't naturally like gravitate towards that. I... Uh, fell in love with tech after graduating with a degree in political science and African-American studies. I was a single mom and I was looking for a career that would allow me to give my daughter the life that she mm-hmm. deserved. And so um, at that time, personal computing was taking off and web um, development was taking off. So I went back to school and got a degree in computer mm-hmm. um, science. And um, it was there that I fell in love with it. I not so much with the coding and the lines of code that was exciting, exhilarating. Um, but what was really exciting for me was the ability to solve problems, to look on the face of the person when I created an app or a tool for them that solved their problem. And so I love that you guys describe computer science. It's just problem solving because I, I, I hear it. And I'm like, Oh, I can't do that. Right. 
And that's 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 not good, right? <laughs> that's part of the problem too. The silver lining of Minnesota's technology challenge from a training perspective to me is it opens a door to be able to do more equitable development and being able to bring people who aren't represented in the space well right now into the space. So mm-hmm. Sharon's not alone. Uh, women who take an AP computer science class are 10 times more likely to study computer science in college. So if you get that early exposure, you are much more likely to do it. Um, black and Latino technologists who take a computer science class in high school are six times more likely to study it in the future. So that early access is super critical. Now, the Minnesota Technology Association, in your 2022 report, uh, you also found that Minnesota is in the bottom half of the country when it comes to diversity in tech roles. So uh, this is going back to the educational opportunities early on, the introduction. That's right. It's it's not magic. It's getting people interested and excited in a field of study. And you're right. I, we we looked at ways to be able to do more equitable development, and there are a number of groups that would need to more than double their participation to be able to just be um, kind of on par with the rest of their participation in the workforce. And so we do really want to see um, our American Indian population that would need to have a 63% increase to be able to just kind of be at status in the technology field invited to participate, Mm -hmm. excited about it earlier going so that they can make it into that field. We're talking about uh, finding jobs in the tech industry and the estimated 8,000 job openings right now in Minnesota in some type of tech field. Uh, Taking your phone calls, 651-227-6000. And Fargo, Maria is listening today and Maria has called in. Hi, Maria. What did you want to tell us? Uh, I wanted to first off give a shout out to an organization that we have local in this area called Emerging um, Emerging Digital Academy. I've heard really great things about what they do. I think they like take people that aren't um, traditionally in a technical background, kind of like what you guys were talking about. Some organizations in the cities do retrain them. I think it's like a twenty twenty five course or week course, and then you kind of come out with um, a developer certificate, and it opens you up to all these um, possibilities. Uh, But then on the other side of that, um, I'm actually in marketing myself. But over the years, um, with my previous employer, I ended up actually teaching myself how to um, do some kind of low-level coding and uh, ended up being a co-admin for our internal CRM program, which was Microsoft-based, and did development work, architecture, um, just basic day-to-day ad and that was a huge career booster for me, a huge, um, just personally, right, you're learning something on your own. Again, used all those free resources that your guest was talking about that's available to you. I did end up getting a certification, but haven't really had any to keep that up. Um, Also building websites, right? I built my husband a website for his business, maintained our business website through, um, you know, things like Webflow, which you don't really need to know coding. It's really just kind of you, you go in and build and I, I really think that it creates a huge advantage for people that maybe either A, can afford mm-hmm. to um, to outsource that, or if you are an employer, not only are you expanding your employees' capabilities and growing their resume, you're keeping those costs down, keeping them internal, and should the need arise, you can always outsource that to somebody that's a quote-unquote professional. Thank you. That's Maria calling in from Fargo. Uh, in St. Paul, James is on the phone. Hi, James. What did you want to tell us or ask us as we talk about uh, jobs in the tech industry? Hi, my name is James Hall from St. Paul, and I'm looking for a job in the IT in the tech industry. Oh, and uh, and what's your work experience or your educational experience, James? What have you been doing? 
Yeah, I'm a I'm a recent graduate. I did um data science and, and statistics minor and currently I'm uh I'm a tax pro trying to prepare some taxes. And so what kind of work do you would you like to do? I, I would like to do um like I graduated doing data science. I wanna do like data analytics, uh, business analytics and and and, 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 and go to a uh, to like to the world and then end up being a data science, uh, scientist. Okay, and so what has your uh, experience been like applying for jobs right now? What are you finding in terms of um, like the requirements for jobs or the openings that you're seeing right now, James? Yeah, I'm seeing openings, but most of the openings I'm seeing the need like three years experience, four years experience, you know, that's, that's like a huddle right there. You know, mm-hmm. when I was listening to you guys, it's like the jobs are opening, we've seen them, but the experience is what that is that's a problem for recent grads, you know. Right. So right. how can um uh software for good help in giving us the, the experience so that we can be qualified for those openings that are that we've seen but we can just get through. Right. Well, congratulations, first of all, on getting your degree in data science uh, and sounds like you said, a minor in statistics. Uh, so thank you. So how do we help James? Let's start with James here. Sharon? That's exactly why Software for Good, we started our apprentice programs because that's what we were seeing. That, uh, He's the degree, but not the three to four years experience. Yes. Right. A lot of companies were looking for the three to five years of experience. And so our apprentice program is for those individuals who are in that zero to two, giving them some practical experience. And, and are other companies doing this? Any big companies? Have you seen offering apprentices yes. too? Yes, there are there are other programs, um, other companies that are offering. I think Target, um, mm-hmm. United, United Healthcare, United Healthcare has an apprentice. Uh, program, but more need to do this. More companies need to do that. Software for Good. We are a small uh, digital mm-hmm. agency, and we're doing it. And we are all. Not only are we providing the training, we have hired members, uh, apprentices from our program. So we currently have three individuals who started in our apprentice program. One um, currently is a, a junior um, engineer. We have an individual who is a mid-level engineer. And a someone who's been with us for a while, they're now a senior engineer, and they also provide um, support to our current mentors that that are coming in. And Joel, what advice would you have for James, who has a degree in data science, but the openings of the, of the sort of the eight thousand openings we're talking about require three to four years experience? Well, how do you get the the first job? I'm so glad James is pointing out that challenge because posted jobs is one thing and right. being able to get hired is a very different thing. And companies really are relearning how to provide training to employees. They're used to being able to purchase software talent uh, directly from a university to be able to come in and work in their workplace. And uh, with the slowdown in talent production, it's just not the case anymore. And so we do see savvy companies that are able to provide that kind of training. I, as Sharon did mention, a couple of those organizations and, and certainly that's the case. There's also a Minnesota apprenticeship network for companies who are interested. They want to be able to provide this kind of training to folks to be able to bring them into roles like this, but they need some help to be able to learn how to do that again. Mm. Uh, Let's take another phone call in St. Paul. Terry is on the line. Good morning, Terry. We're talking about jobs in tech and what did you want to ask or share? Um, Hello. I uh, love your program, Angela. And, um, I'm calling about uh, my son, who I wish he was with me, but he isn't. Um, he uh, is finishing a, a degree program at, at 
Metro State. Mm-hmm. And part of the, he has like one class left where he needs to have an internship to uh, graduate. Um, and he's having a, a, a very difficult time finding an internship mm-hmm. um, with a company uh, in software development. That's his major. Um, he... Uh, I get it. The, the internship program. Uh, so again, and, we talked about um, apprenticeships, but uh, college students who are the ones who have, have made it, right? They, they did the thing, but they have this next barrier. They need an internship. So the willingness for someone to let them in as a student. So mm-hmm. what advice do you have for, for those young people? We've talked about ways that Minnesota is maybe behind the ball, but this is one way that I can maybe cheer for Minnesota. Uh, the legislature has actually funded a program called SciTech, uh, which allows Minnesota-based students to be able to get internship experiences at Minnesota-based companies with 250 or fewer employees. And so um, Mintech actually has a connection board where we take applications, um, like the student who's at Metro State could apply to be able to find an internship. Companies are able to create matches through that website, and the state helps to pay 50% of the wages, which is, is, mm-hmm. is an incentive to companies to be able to use that program as well. So that's one really practical way. Uh, SciTech is a, a great program for students like that to be able to create those connections. And so uh, Terry, who was calling on behalf of his son, uh, where should his son look for help or like a website or something? Absolutely. So if he goes to our website again, which is mintech.org, there is a link for SciTech is the program name that okay. he can connect with. So Minnesota Technology Association, uh, Terry, who called in, that's your go-to uh, place. So uh, as we look at this 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 gap, it's part of the problem too is that there are some resources available to help, but people don't know about them. Absolutely, it's it, and really what we see is that students need knowledge, experience, and relationships in order to ultimately right. land a position. And they may get the knowledge as part of a four year degree program, but maybe missing the experience mm-hmm. and relationships. And so it really does take kind of a backbone or convening organization to try to pull some of those pieces together. And Sharon, what do you think this, this dad is, is, you know, concerned about a son who's going through school, getting close to graduating, but needs this internship? I, I encourage him to do the SciTech. Software for Good, we did leverage some of that funding um, at the state to offer our internship program. So there are uh, a lot of companies offering intern. And I also encourage people to look in unlikely places. Um, I started my career as a software engineer in higher education. Mm -hmm. And um, there are a lot of college campuses that also offer opportunities for uh, internships for individuals who are in who are in software engineering, web development, have that skill and want to get some more experiences. So look in unlikely places, Uh, city or or government, government agencies. Everyone needs an IT Government agencies. I I served as CIO for the city of St. Paul, and we hired interns as well to help us on our build out our team. The other thing I wanted to note for companies who are um, kind of afraid to hire individuals with that zero to two, something that we've done um, internally at Software for Good, we um, did these junior senior pairs where we would pair our junior 
developers with our senior developers. Mm -hmm. And uh, a part of some of our services that we offer, we help build out teams um, for companies and organizations. And so we would place uh, junior and senior um, pairs together. And that gives um, the companies the confidence to hire individuals who are early in their career, just starting their career, to gain the skills that they need because they have that senior engineer who is there providing um, that coaching as well. And they are also able, the juniors are also able to provide coaching um, to those seniors as well. So as I think about some of these companies that have openings that they haven't been able to fill um, in a competitive way or you know, is it not good for Minnesota to sort of be in this situation? Because maybe if I'm a company and I can't fill these positions here, do I then start looking at other states that I might want to, you know, have my company? Absolutely. And it happens. That's why we really want to to push on development here locally, because it's an equity driver for us to have more women, to have more people of color involved in our industry here. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it, w- it would behoove us to be more competitive about this. Uh, we're out of time. I want to thank our guests who are here with us today for being with us as we talk about the challenges in the tech industry. We've been talking with Sharon Kennedy Vickers and with Joel Crandall. Check out the Minnesota Technology Association website. Thank you for your time today. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.